0: Hey everyone, welcome to the latest installment of the Climbing Advocate podcast, episode number 53. This is your host, Peter Horgan. For this episode, I was joined by Stephanie Jagir, who is the current operating director of the Western Massachusetts Climbers Coalition. Western Massachusetts may not immediately jump out at you as a place that might have exceptional rock climbing, but don't be fooled. Climbing development has been going on there for many, many decades and it looks very nice. Nice of course being spelled G-N-E-I-S-S. Western Mass's tagline is, climb nice. As Stephanie and I got into the main part of our conversation, we kicked things off by talking about the word access and how it can be defined when talking about the physical access to a crag. Generally speaking, access is defined simply as the status of our ability to climb at a given area. Pretty simple, right? But instead of being married to that single statement, the WMCC put it on a scale with three different color-coded levels or tiers. Red means closed, yellow means tentative, and green means secure. And in a recent Instagram post, they used this scale to describe one of their most recent major access wins at a crag known as the Farley Ledges. For nearly a decade, the WMCC had been in negotiation with a private landowner at the Farley Ledges to have climbing be formally recognized as a recreational activity through a recreational settlement agreement. And this was a huge win for the WMCC and the local climbers there. Stephanie fills us in a bit on the finer details about that project, and we talk about another case study at a place called Hanging Mountain. Hanging Mountain is a crag that the WMCC recently co-purchased with another organization and now owns outright, and I always find it so amazing when I hear about another LCO being a landowner. Apparently, it's the only climber-owned area in southern New England. Who knew, right? So they got that going for them, which is nice. I hope there are uh, some other Caddyshack fans out there that caught on to that one. So if there are any LCOs out there that are finding themselves in a similar situation, or need a resource to consult, know that the WMCC is out there and I'm sure Stephanie would be more than happy to chat with you. Stephanie was an absolute pleasure to talk to and I know I enjoy learning more about what they have going on up there in Western Mass. So I hope you do too. So without further ado, I want me to introduce you to Stephanie Jagir and the Western Massachusetts Climbers Coalition. Enjoy. Before we get into the episode, I wanna give thanks and show some love for the supporters and sponsors of the show. Black Diamond, Adidas Turex, Gnarly Nutrition, Mammut, Alpine Start Coffee, and Plungtone Audio. Thank you all for the continued support of the Climbing Advocate podcast and dedication to our climbing community. I, I'm not like super familiar with Massachusetts. I of course know Boston. I've never been. Um, but I know that's like, you know, the eastern part of the state. When it comes to western Massachusetts, I was like, shoot, like what towns are over there? Uh, you know, like what what's going on in the western part of the state? So where where are you based and where where are you calling in from?
1: So I'm based in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, which is right in the middle uh, of okay. right, central Massachusetts. And that's funny because we have the eastern part of massachusetts well even different than like boston kind of area is the cape so Mm -hmm. like the furthest east you can go is the cape that's like its own thing with its own culture and then you've got like the boston middlesex area where there's like the most people and then you get central mass which is So different from the eastern side of the state and from the western side of the state.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: then, yeah, uh, you move into western Massachusetts um, and then into the Berkshires and it's just, you know, totally different. Um, A lot of people from the eastern half of the state like travel into the western half of the state. Okay. But it's kind of funny to talk to people in the western half of the state who are like, "Oh, I, yeah, I haven't been to Boston in forever. Like, where is Worcester? Like, <laughs> and Worcester is like a, a fairly, you know, it's the second biggest city in, in Massachusetts, I think. So, mm-hmm. I'm so I'm always surprised.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's funny. They just kind of stay away from the the urbanized, like big city life, and just kind of stay. I mean, is it considered like rural Massachusetts when you get further west?
1: yeah more of the yeah it's much more yeah. rural um, there are still some big cities like you have springfield
0: that's where i was guessing you might be might be based because i looked at a map i just got on google maps and looked at massachusetts and i was like okay springfield is kind of looks like a bigger city out west and maybe that's what i was had a hunch where you might be but you're even you're even further east than that
1: yeah yeah and uh like, as we understand, like, our climber, people who are climbing in Western Mass, like, and our members, there's such a, there's so many people from Central and Eastern Massachusetts that, that come out to Western Mass. That's really, really where a lot of the, the quality climbing is. And mm-hmm. There's definitely stuff in Eastern Mass as well, but it's small. There's not really any sport climbing.
0: Yeah. More like bouldering, right?
1: There's some bouldering, yeah. Um, but... But if you want to sport climb, which most people are really looking to do, then you're going up to Rumney, which is too far, um, and then or or come to Western Mass. West.
0: The Gunks aren't too too far, are they?
1: No, a lot of people will go to the Gunks, um, so that's like a I think it's a three and a half hour drive.
0: Okay, that's a little longer,
1: bad. but yeah. definitely weekend trip.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, one thing I realized uh, like five years ago when I was in New York for the Access Fund's annual conference, I was in one of the workshops that they had going on and some some kind of light bulb went off. And I don't don't remember what workshop it was, but a light bulb went off and I was like, there's climbing everywhere in this country, except for like two states. And I'm not going to name them so I don't offend anyone, but they're like 48 states have have rocks in them to climb, whether they're boulders or big walls or Alpine, whatever. And I was like, yeah, even yeah, around, I think someone mentioned like bouldering around Boston, like around like the city limits or something like that, or right on the outskirts. I was like, wow, like Bam! It's like yeah, there's climbing everywhere. So yeah. super excited to talk to Western Massa- talk about Western Massachusetts today. I was talking to my coworker. He's like, oh, this uh, this afternoon. He's like, oh yeah, you're doing a podcast tonight. I was like, yeah, I got one. I got one with uh, this lady from Western Massachusetts. And he's like, oh western massachusetts i'm like totally right like it might not have jumped mind immediately but i love to talk to people like yourself to put you know shed some light on on you know your kind of smaller coalitions and in areas that don't jump off the map immediately so i'm super excited to have this all work out and uh get to talk to you tonight stephanie what's what's your climbing history i love asking all the guests this and how they got into the sport and everyone's got a little bit of a unique story for themselves so when did this sport come into your life
1: So I was in college. Um, I was, when I was a kid, my sport was horseback riding. Um, And I didn't really know what climbing was for a long time. But in college, I became part of the outdoors club. And we went on a trip to the indoor climbing gym in Worcester. So that was the first time and I got pretty hooked, um, quickly. I started climbing at least once a week and then pretty soon I was climbing multiple times a week and we went outside. So that was over 10 years ago now.
0: Nice. Right on. Have you spent most of your time around around Western Massachusetts or have you gotten out around other spots around the country or internationally?
1: Most of my climbing is more local, but, um, you know, or like definitely Rumney is pretty close relatively for us. So I'm up at Rumney. A lot of my early climbing, outdoor climbing was either at Rumney. Um, We did some climbing at Crow Hill, which is actually more like central mass. Um, And that has like a really long climbing history. But um, then I went to the Red River Gorge, which was amazing. and I. Definitely travel a little bit every year. We do some kind of big climbing trip. So I'm not super well traveled, but uh, definitely get out to some of the major yeah. climbing destinations.
0: Awesome. What, what do you have? What do you have planned for this year, if anything?
1: I'm, I'm definitely going to Red River Gorge, and uh, I am probably going to the Access Fund conference as well. So maybe okay. trying to combine some climbing uh, in that area. So.
0: Awesome. Cool. We well, mentioned there's a strong history in Central Mass, and it seems like there might be a pretty strong history in, in Western Mass too. And you know, after doing some internet digging and research, you know there is quite a bit of rock out, out by you, and it looks really nice. I mean, your, your guys' literally and figuratively, I mean, your guys' motto or, or a mantra – saying whatever you would like to call it is climb nice in reference to like the the rock type right GN, yeah. nice yeah which is, which is very clever um but yeah what's what's a bit of the climbing history let's dig into western mass a bit can you give us a bit of uh background and in history and when climbing maybe started to get developed in that area
1: sure so um i'm not necessarily the leading expert on the history of the area but you know we've had there's there's been people climbing in western mass very early on so i know that there was definitely a lot of climbing at least in the 60s and 70s there was probably plenty of climbing before that as well i know there was um at crow hill there was like even the 1920s the climbing goes back to then um but in western mass um there was you know there's you can definitely one one thing about Farley, which is like one of the main crags that we steward, is it's it's visible along Route 2. So it's literally right along a major road. And so uh it's in that in that way it's pretty accessible (laughs) and you can see it from the road. And um yeah, there the sixties and seventies saw um definitely a bunch of climbing, and we more more recently um, there in the early 2000s um, and before that, there was a lot of um, kind of the, the bolt wars happening in there. So <laughs> the major part of the Western Mass Climbers Coalition his- history um, is we actually uh, had a, a major uh, win in bringing a certain bolt chopper to court. Um, really? And... Yeah, and and we were able to kind of move forward after that, and we have a good mix of sport and trad and mixed routes, as well as bouldering in the area. And uh, since then, we've been able to try to continue preserving access to the area by um, working on issues like parking. We purchased uh, a small parking lot in 2007, and... uh, now we're trying to work towards improving parking in the area because that's definitely not enough at this point.
0: Is this still at Farley? Yeah. Okay.
1: So, so yeah, there's a lot of um, small crags in the area. So Farley is like a major one, but then nearby that uh, there's a plethora of smaller crags. Again, a mix of bouldering and sport climbing um, of all kinds and tribe climbing as well. So, you know, and, and there's like still ways that those kind of those bolt wars are still playing out, you know, or it's left its mark for sure in the community. But um, but yeah, essentially, there's a lot of different opinions on when and how a bolt should be placed, right? And like who's allowed to do it and all of those kinds of questions.
0: Mm-hmm. there... Any kind of regulations or a regulatory agency, maybe it's the Western Mass Climbers Coalition who helps handle that. I know in other areas, you know, there's per, there's just permitting uh, matters depending on what land you're on or um, all kinds of processes that advisory boards need to review and stuff like that. Is, does it, is it that in depth by you guys or, or is there some kind of process or workflow like that?
1: no we don't really have that in any sort of explicit way right now so we um you know we're we'll talk more about like the our our new agreement with first light the power company um but essentially you know our agreement doesn't talks explicitly about um bolts or fixed hardware so you know there's no as of right now there's no one um, kind of coming to us saying there's this permitting process or anything. We have a fair amount of um, leeway and, and control over that uh, as individuals, right? its mm. developing. Um, we do have the interesting case of we, we own a crack now. So we own Hanging Mountain. And so it's been a, a process of thinking through how to develop this area because um, most of that cliff was not previously developed, um, and so, you know how the the WMCC is still not being, you know, overly prescriptive in the in that either, right? When nobody, you know, our board is not approving every single bolt that goes in the wall or anything like that. Sure. So it's just an interesting thing to continue thinking about. But we there's no process that we have to follow or that we necessarily impose on anyone else.
0: Gotcha, and when you mentioned like yeah we purchased a parking lot you know that's not something you hear every day either you know it's kind of a, a unique thing that comes along with the whole I think just climbing experience accessing a crag I mean it really starts at the parking lot and if you got nowhere to park like your existence or excuse me your experience rather is going to be like I don't know, non-existent. It might just not happen in the first place. So we'll get into Farley a bit. I want to really take a deeper dive into that project, but I'm glad you kind of dropped a little hint there, a little nugget that we're going to expand on a bit in uh, purchasing parking lots and just kind of facilitating that whole climbing experience at the at the Farley Ledges. I'm really looking forward to talking about that and how you define access and stuff. So what's what's your history with the organization? Uh, we You quickly mentioned that uh, your operating executive, I believe, might be the the term or the, the position title. Um, and a lot of folks I talked to who are who are in positions like that or an executive director, they started off as a volunteer and they joined the board and then they really took on a larger leadership position. Did your progress with the Western Mass Co- uh, Climate Coalition go like that, or what's uh, how did you get involved with the organization and how did you get into the position you are in now?
1: Yeah so I started getting more involved around 2018 I would say um, my my initial kind of start to trying to get involved was I was climbing up Farley Moore and I wanted to you know get back to the area that I was recreating at and and, and you know taking advantage of in some way right Um But it was kind of hard to do that. Like I, there, there were some trail days at least every year, maybe twice a year. There was trail days, but I would like look for uh, information about it so that I could participate, and I I would somehow still miss it. You know, there wasn't a lot of great uh, information coming out uh, in advance about these trail days, and I was like, you know. And finally, I was talking to someone that, that I knew from the climbing gym. I was like, I could be the email person, like I've signed up for your mailing list, uh, but I haven't gotten any emails, but I could send out some emails for you guys. And so I started that way. I started kind of just thinking about like what how I could help what kinds of things I could do. Um, And it quickly kind of escalated from there, I started doing more with social media posts and things like that. And when COVID came around, uh, I had a lot of time on my hands, so I, I kept taking on more roles as well. Um, I started doing the membership, and uh, I was able to kind of change the way we were doing the membership uh, program that we had, and was able to double our membership in two years, nice, which was nice, huge. Nice work. Like, we, yeah, we got a lot of great um, steady income through our membership, and so it's a good good way to not only like help people feel more connected to the organization, but also for us, that's it's just a major um, way for us to kind of have steady revenue coming in throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up joining the board, I think it was 2020. Um, and again, because of COVID, uh, the board meetings moved to Zoom, which was actually huge because with Western Mass, Climbing Coalition, all of the board meetings were previously happening in Western Mass. And I did make it to a few of those. I, I, for whatever reason, I would have some time that on the, my schedule on those days and, and was able to join before um, we all had to move to Zoom. But obviously, having those meetings on Zoom for me being oh, almost an hour and a half away really made things possible Mm -hmm. Um, and now we actually have representation on our board from um, not only western mass but from central mass um, from where i am and also from eastern mass which is just a really good way for us to reach out to people who are actually coming to our crags because so many people are traveling Um, so that was that's huge and then pretty soon after that, I ended up being the board president. Uh, it was one of those things where our president was stepping down and we were all looking around. And I guess I didn't say no. <laughs> so I ended up being the, the board president, which I really enjoyed. It was a great experience. Um, but it was a lot of, of responsibility, a lot of work. And especially as we started coming out of covid and real life was resuming, (laughs) I was like, okay, this is definitely a lot. Like we have a lot of volunteers around us who are like, I'm seeing who are experiencing burnout. Like I am starting to feel that way at certain times of the year too. Like this is too much. And, and, um, Craig Vermont actually had just hired, uh, an executive director and, we're kind of, I'm thinking like, why can't we do that too? So we talked to them um, and we actually modeled this position off of their position that they created. Um, so that was really great. And yeah, kind of from there, I made it clear that I wanted to apply to the position that i was interested um it was posted for everyone to to see we're encouraging people to sign up but or not sign up but apply to it Mm -hmm. um and uh in the end i got the position which was really great i'm really happy about it and super excited good good. (laughs) to be able to devote more time to this organization and community that i really love
0: great that's awesome i could feel the passion feel the passion uh but it's your, your title's not executive director is that is that right
1: no yeah we actually um made this title operating executive yep. um i guess director uh we were advised that we shouldn't use the word director since we have a board of directors
0: okay so, gotcha.
1: yeah just a kind of the way they, the, there was a lot of talk about, um, the legal side of everything. And we had a a lawyer that we consulted, Mm. um, when we were putting together the position. So yeah, that was one of their recommendations.
0: Cool. Yeah. Makes sense. And just for anyone who's thinking about trying to hire an executive director or move in that, uh, kind of structure in that direction, what funding resource are you using or resources are using to fund the position just in case if other folks need to kind of put some feelers out there and figure out how to fund a position like this.
1: So we are using, um, all of our unrestricted funds, not all of our unrestricted funds. Um, but we're, it's coming from unrestricted funds that we have. Cool. So again, like membership, um, is, uh, unrestricted funds and, we have other donations that come directly, um, to us from, from people. Those are unrestricted. Um, yeah, so we get, uh, we do a fair amount of fundraising as well. Our, uh, annual silent auction is a big one. So we do that every year and we're going to add some more fundraisers now that we have more bandwidth and organizational capacity to do those, um, fundraisers and, um, we typically, like we're using grants to pay for a lot of the projects, like special projects that we're doing. Um, so a lot of the times for me, I'm, I'm thinking about, oh, what do we need to do? Like, do we have a big trail day that we're, we're working on? Like, um, you know, what what kind of projects do we have and uh, how can I get grants or funding for those projects Um, and so those kind of leaves those unrestricted funds open for other things Um, because it's much harder to get a grant funding or it seems to me like when i've been looking at what is available out there it's harder to get funding for something like a position
0: yeah yeah those kind of operational grants are hard to come by what, what what kind of categories? Sorry, I work for a nonprofit too, and I kinda I get what you're saying with unrestricted and restricted funding. So I'm kind of curious like what classes you might have for restricted funding. What are folks donating for and really want their money to go to?
1: Yeah. So we we don't do a ton of direct donations that are necessarily restricted. That is that does happen. Sometimes people want them to be restricted. Um, we did a Hanging Mountain fundraiser, uh, hmm, bunch of years ago that was to go towards hanging mountain um but most of our restricted funds are coming from uh those grants and things like that
0: makes sense what what uh you know go through the list of the crags and areas in western mass i mean there's there's quite a bit and i'm wondering like what those areas are that fall under your guys' jurisdiction and where you all might end and then I might segue into the Southern New England climbers coalition. Cause I know they're kind of in that area too. And how is that split up where might one end and the other one kind of pick up or is there any overlap or yeah. What, what areas do you guys manage and, and own as well?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we, we, We definitely wouldn't consider ourselves like stewards of any climbing areas outside of Massachusetts. And then exactly where, you know, within Massachusetts, Western Mass Climbers Coalition uh, kind of ends is is definitely like in flux a little bit from time to time. Like I know we have a history of um, stewarding at Crow Hill, but in recent years... Um, have not been active in, in, in that area, right? So it, I think a lot of it is kind of thinking partly about our capacity as an organization, like how far can we reach? Like if we have people in those areas who can who who can really get those projects going or know what kind of on the ground, what projects need to be done. Um, so we don't necessarily have like a super clear line that we follow. And we've talked about this at different times. And, um, you know, I think we're in our most recent discussions at our, our board retreat that we actually had uh, just a few weekends ago, we were kind of talking about it. And we were like, Oh, yeah, like, maybe there are a few crags that are more technically in central mass that we might want to do some work in, maybe we'll collaborate with some people on those those projects. So yeah, there's not a super, um, hard line uh and i know that snack or southern new england climbers coalition um they're doing great work they're doing they they focus a lot on areas a little more east so gotcha that central mass is is open sometimes for <laughs> for discussion i guess
0: yeah yeah there's no like county line it's kind of you know, marking the boundary necessarily, which is probably a good thing. You know, it can kind of ebb and flow and help each other out. And one year you could take Crow Hill, they could take Crow Hill another year or something, you know, just kind of
1: <laughs> <it's a nice, laughs>
0: opens for collaboration, I guess. Yeah. That's Lots good. of
1: collaboration.
0: So I think this is a, kind of a classic example of Eastern land management in the, in the U.S. i S I've talked to several other folks from the East over the years and kind of the classic model is a lot of private land conservation easements, the organization, the climate coalition will own land. Curious what kind of land managers you might be working with outside of you being a land owner yourself and how much does the Western mass climate coalition actually own in fee? Curious about uh, how that all works for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So, um, right now we only own one cliff, so we own hanging mountain, um, and then the other piece of land that we do own is where we built a parking lot near Farley Ledges. But we only own the parking lot and maybe a few boulders over at Farley. And we don't own the cliff there. So we work with a lot of different land managers. And uh, they range from like the state, such as the Department of Conservation and Recreation, Mass Fish and Wildlife. Um, The Army Corps actually owns like the very end of Hanging Mountain, Um, so we've been working with them recently. Um, We have a lot of private landowners, and we also work with First Light Power. So the First Light Power company is really um, a pretty big one. They actually own uh, all of the climbing at Rose Ledge and about half of the climbing at barley ledges as well, somewhere around there. So they're actually a pretty big um, and important uh, land manager that we've been communicating with recently. And we had the major access win for.
0: How many acres is, uh, is Hanging Mountain? How many acres do you all own?
1: I think it's about 14 acres.
0: 14. Cool.
1: Yeah. And that, so that includes like uh, most of the cliff, right? Almost, almost all of it uh, as well as a parking lot. So we built a parking lot there. Again, parking is so important, <laughs>
0: especially yeah. here in the
1: Northeast. As well. for sure. Um, so yeah, that it's such a great cliff, and um, we're really lucky that we were able to to get it with the help of the Access Fund.
0: Well, I think it's a great segue into just like two projects, like Hanging Mountain and Farley Ledges, are the two like kind of big projects I wanted to dive into this evening to learn some more about uh, the project itself and the ins and outs and, and anything you could recommend to other LCOs and folks and working through a similar kind of process perhaps. So let's start with Farley and I want to reference an Instagram post that you all had I think fairly recently and how you defined access. You have like this access continuum um, I forget each like category of access off the top of my head, but it was really neat to see. I have never seen that before, and I thought that was really, really creative and very um, just very contextual. It had a lot of uh, substance to it and how access can mean different things at different times and, and so on. So can we just start from the top with the recent access win at Farley Ledges and how that all came to be and how you collaborated and worked with First Lights and the access fund to – Make this whole acquisition come together. Congratulations, by the way. But yeah, can you give us some good details on all that?
1: So thank you for your kind words about the um, the post. I I was thinking a lot about how um, to kind of help uh, people understand where access is at at all of the different crags, right? And especially with Farley, we have such a complicated. Um, series of access issues. And I wanted to explain that we made progress in one piece of those issues, right? So um, as I was thinking about it, I was like, what's a good way to kind of make it clear to people, um, you know, when we get an access win, even if it doesn't change something right away on the ground, um, then, and that's where the kind of color coding came up. And we we can decided we could label crags as um, red for access, which would mean closed, right? The landowner, or manager, or for whatever reason, um, their climbing is not allowed um, at that crag. Um, yellow would be areas where climbing is allowed, um, and it, and people can go there and recreate and access those areas, but not, there's no kind of formal agreement or legal agreement, um, meaning that we have long-term access for climbing in those areas, right? If it's a private land, uh, land owner, they could essentially just decide one day when they wake up that they don't want any more climbers there. Um, and we might have to close that area down. So as long as people understand what areas are, are yellow, Um, And some might be more closer to orange, right? More closer to the red side than others. Um, And then what areas are green, meaning we have really solid access to climbing in perpetuity in these areas. For example, Hanging Mountain, we own the land and we are in the process of putting that land in a conservation restriction that would um, really protect climbing in that area, um, probably forever, right? So uh, at Farley, we um, entered into these negotiations that um, the First Light Power Company, who owns a lot of the climbing at Farley, um, they have to every fifty years go through these the um, relicensing process, and the there are a lot of recreational stakeholders that get involved in this as well. Um, because First Light has to manage the recreational uses of their land as well as what they're doing to generate power as well. Um, So we joined in that process and were able to get formal recognition of climbing as as an activity, as a recreational activity on that land, which is great um, because it protects uh, and formalizes our access to climbing um, and, uh, it specifically mentions that we have free public access to climbing uh, on the land. So, you know, people were already, already climbing on that land. It wasn't going from closed to open. Right. But this is still a major step in securing access. So it's trying to help people kind of understand some of the, the nuances there. Um, and it, in its entirety, Farley ledges is made up of a lot. Um, of other, um, other landowners, right, and, and other access issues. So it's still, we would still designate Farley as a yellow climbing area because um, a lot of the, uh, the climbing is on private land um, and we have really major issues with parking and being able to um, a- accommodate all of the people coming from Boston and other areas who wa- want to climb in our crags. So Mm -hmm. we're we're making a lot of progress and we're, we're moving towards getting the all of Farley to be more of a green climbing area where we know that we have um, sustainable access uh, to the climbing, but uh, we're making progress, which is great.
0: Great. Yeah. It sounds like first light's been a pretty good landowner and pretty good partner to work with. Is that my understanding?
1: They have been. Yeah. Um, They, for all all uh, up until this point, they have kind of passively allowed climbing, right? So mm-hmm. you know they were obviously aware that climbing was happening on the land, um, and and never stopped us. I don't think, to my knowledge, there was ever a closure from First Light. Um, I think they were private landowners that, in the past, um, had been had closed access to Farley at different times. Um, but more recently, and, and the interesting thing about the process that we engaged in is, um, we had a lot of support. So essentially there's, um, the, um, federal energy, um, relicensing commission, I think is their name. We call it FERC for short. Mm -hmm. So hopefully I got that acronym right. Um, they had to get involved to kind of manage the. Um, the recreational stakeholders and make sure that First Light was meeting their duty um, to recreation on that property that they own. Um, And so it wasn't um, just us in the room of First Light at at that point. There was a lot of other people in the room, and we made really great connections with so many different uh, groups, uh, such as um, we had mountain bikers, paddlers, um, hunters and hikers and, and all sorts of um, towns and and uh, other groups that had interests in different kinds of recreational opportunities in this area.
0: yeah, I was going to ask you whether stakeholders or recreational users might yet yeah, participate in recreation around Farley and i love hearing those kinds of stories we're all like on the on the same team here to to participate in our yeah. respective activities and and when it call comes together like that it's it's really encouraging to see and i wanted to i was i'm also kind of surprised perhaps i don't know if it's surprising to you or why why it's free i'm you know i'm, I'm just kind of minorly shocked like hey they've they went at charge a few bucks for something to park or just access the cliffs and try to make some extra revenue from the recreational use. Is that kind of a a surprising thing for you guys?
1: My understanding, and I wasn't the one who was really kind of fully deep into this project. um, But my understanding is that first light power um, is required to manage these recreational uses of the land and actually um, make sure that there is free free public access for most of the activities. I think that they have some camping. Obviously, they would charge for the camping, I think. But okay. um, I, I don't fully understand it, but I think that at one point they had... I don't know if they were given the land that they used, um, but somehow they that was the understanding is that they would use the land, um, that they have for creating power, um, but also for the recreation of the, um, for the towns and the people who want to recreate there.
0: Mm -hmm. Maybe it's some kind of like mandate. They have to provide this amenity or equitable access to the area, maybe, I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing darts out there, but <laughs> any any lesson that you walked away from this uh, from this project with that maybe you could pass on to another LCO, maybe in the east that could be working through a similar kind of situation.
1: Yeah. So I think one of the big lessons that we that I took away from this is that engaging in these hard conversations is worth it. Um, being transparent and trying to formalize our access to some extent is worth it, right? So there's a lot of discussions before we dive into this process about, you know, do we want formal access? What does that mean? Could that be a detriment to uh, the way we use the the climbing resources here? You know, what are they going to say if they think it's too much of a liability? Or, you know, there's always that, that, um, uh, at least a small risk that when you start talking about these things that the status quo could go from being okay to worse um, but you know I think we've seen that it, it's it been a positive change we've built really good relationships um, with First Light Power as well as all of these other organizations and so it's been um, a really great process. So those are some takeaways is like really jumping into, engage in these processes, formalizing access where we can, um, is definitely worth it.
0: Yeah. Great. Great point. And great questions you're asking yourself. I think, yeah, those are, those are tough conundrums I think to tackle and, and conflicting. It can often be conflicting. It's, can we, fly not under the radar because they knew climbing was there but would it be more sustainable if we just kind of yeah just kind of kept it a little bit more informal and but just thinking long picture or long term excuse me bigger picture you know further down the road as the the sport gains more notoriety and popularity like if you didn't do this in 2023 what's going to happen in 2033 maybe 10 years down the road that could jeopardize your access and now you're going to you know, you shut yourselves in the foot or, you know, you're kicking yourself for not formalizing something 10 years prior. So I think it's, you know, just really strategic chess playing, thinking, you know, that, that you guys do and other coalitions do to formalize this kind of access. And in the long run, it's going to behoove everyone, I would think. Yeah.
1: And then, and really climbing is growing so quickly. Like we have to rise probably. to meet that challenge, right? Cause like the our crags are just they're not good. there. There's not less people going to the crags. You know, there's more and more <laughs> every day, and that right. creates all sorts of impacts at the crag that we want to manage the best we can, and um, you know, making sure that the landowners or managers don't see um, the number of the people there as an is so much of an issue that they have to just close it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have some kind of memorandum of understanding to handle the stewardship of the area and do the trail work, do the maintenance on the parking lot and the bathrooms or whatever? Do you have some kind of agreement with the on the stewardship lines?
1: We're working on that. So like the the first part of it um, is was part of that formal relicensing procedure um, which was finished up and then we are doing a lot of like off contract negotiations and discussions as well so those are we're still in the process of and we're definitely talking about managing trails and um how much we want to be responsible for we definitely we we take a lot of pride in our trails out here in western mass and um we we have pretty high standards um, and so, you know, we we want to be able to do a lot of trail work on the trails that we want to manage. Do we want to be managing all of the trails on, you know, in this whole um, recreation area? No, you know, we want to be careful of how much we're setting ourselves up for. And So we're, we're really kind of discussing the nuances there.
0: Cool. Yeah, it's bite-sized pieces, you know, a little bit by little bit for sure. Well, how about the second project we we talked about, Hanging Mountain? I think uh, quite a bit now. And this is one that you all own yourself, and which is just so cool. I'm I'm always so impressed when an LCO can be a landowner as well. And I think it's like I said, it's so necessary out in the Eastern U.S. and being your own kind of land trust, I think is is really neat. So why don't we jump into Hanging Mountain? Um, I didn't get a chance to dive too deep into too much research on Hanging Mountain, but Give us all the details Stephanie what's what's going on with Hanging Mountain and how you when, how and when did you acquire this acquire this crag?
1: So um, there was a lot of talks about purchasing this crag in 2019 um, and at the very end of 2019 we were able just to secure that access fund loan um, climbing conservation loan and purchase the property. So that was huge. And then we um, were able to really start developing the area. We, um, We did a lot of trail work, and it happened to be that first year of COVID right, in 2020, and so there was a lot of um, people who were able to go out and do that trail work. Um, It also made some aspects of trail work more difficult because we were trying to social distance, but at least to to some extent with small groups of people, um, they were able to make a lot of progress on that, Um, and we were able to open the crag in, I believe it was 2021. Um, We We've learned a lot in that process <laughs> and we're still continuing with the development of the crag. So there's still a lot of trail work to be developed as well as routes to be developed. Um, so there's, um, you know, lots of grants that we'll need to continue doing this work as well as um, continued uh, thinking about processes for different things. So it's pretty exciting. We have a parking lot, and a crag that we own. Um, so that means that, you know, our, again, our standards of trail work, we can meet them because, you know, we don't have to ask permission from someone else before we do a big trail project. If we want to get it done, we can really get that done pretty quickly, um, without a lot of oversight, which is great. So yeah, some issues that we've run into is that, um, the one, uh, part of the cliff that we don't own the core wall is on army corps of engineers land and that once they there was actually a lot of historical climbing happening because technically it's public land and people were climbing there Um, once we uh, opened and more attention began being drawn to climbing in the area they kind of decided they wanted to close it down and didn't want climbing on their property because they wanted to put it through this kind of bureaucratic process. Um, so we're kind of in that, that process right now, um, and working with them to open that back up.
0: Are there any other federal land managers that you work with? Just kind of more, the more the traditional ones, you know, forest service, BLM. Um,
1: mostly state. So, yeah, Dcr being a big one um mass fish and wildlife sure. another one yeah. Yeah. so yeah i this might the only one I can really think of that that we're working with that would be federal yeah.
0: yeah yeah that's that's a that's a unique thing for sure and I know Army Corps you know they manage a lot of like water recreation you know like reservoirs yeah. and stuff but yeah it's interesting that you know when this kind of situation comes up and is there got some climbing resources on the, on their land. You don't hear that. Mm-hmm. Don't hear that too often. And was there, I think what I did read, was there four, like four different grants sources or funding sources for this project? It was like the access fund conservation, uh, something, I, I'm forgetting to the top of my head, but what other funding resources came together for this project?
1: Yeah. So the, the access fund uh, was able to come in with the, with a loan, which was, is- amazing and then we in order to pay back the loan um we had the help of the ragged mountain foundation so the ragged mountain foundation is another lco from connecticut and um hanging mountain which is located in Sandisfield, is like kind of almost on the very border of connecticut it's uh it is in massachusetts but it's very closely situated to connecticut and accessible uh, to connecticut climbers Um, so we knew that there would be a lot of interest from Connecticut to come to this area and it's got, um, sport climbing and that would be their closest sport climbing. Um, so they, again, they, they helped us pay back the loan. We had a lot of support, um, in grants from the, um, the AMC, the Appalachian Mountain Club. Um, So they not only gave us a bunch of awesome grants, but also um, helped us with trail work and volunteers. A lot of AMC volunteers came up, which was awesome. Um, We had grants from the Conservation Alliance. And we had grants from, we also had a a Mass Trails grant, which was a cool learning opportunity for us because um, that is, just a little different in the way it's structured. So, the Mass Trails Grant being a reimbursement grant, um, it, it just works a little differently. And so, um, we we were excited to have the opportunity to kind of. Do more work with getting grants, and then kind of getting a handle on where kinds of different grant sources come from, and how to apply, what to expect with with all of them. So
0: yeah, yeah, they probably all have like different match requirements, and and yeah, they reimbursement grant you coughing up the money first, or you get a check from them. So the Mass Trails is that a state? Is that a, a, a grant from the state?
1: Yes, um, and. I'm not sure if there is potentially some federal monies that come to that still, but it is, it is from the state essentially. Yeah.
0: Any other thing you want to share with, with hanging mountain and and lessons taken away from that? Oh yeah. One thing I, before we get into that, one thing I just want to acknowledge is like, I, I work for a land trust. So just, I just know how many stars I have to align for, for like, these projects to come together with, with support and, and, grant funding and letters of support so on and so forth it's really takes like you can take a village to make this stuff happen and all these puzzle pieces need to come together at the right time in the right way so just i can i just know how much work this can take and just having it all come together it's just it's such a such a huge win when these things happen so you know my hats off to you guys for again for for doing such great work and and conserving our climbing areas so moving out of hanging mountain yeah what any anything that stood out to you with this project that you could maybe pass along or or uh, you could you could walk away with to go into your next acquisition or next project
1: well first of all we're we're pretty excited because um the access fund is actually um awarding us with a land conservation um award so that's pretty cool and yeah i think some of our um, a lot of things we learned was like how different it would be to own our our own climbing area and the decisions that would come with that right so all of the discussions that we had to talk about um root development and trail building these trails and some of the things that we had to be aware of before building these trails there was a lot of um We actually had to do a lot of biological surveys and a full MESA review, which um, we needed to just identify what uh, protected species were in the area before we um, moved forward with trail work. So so that was a big learning process and kind of like understanding, yeah, that we, even though we own the land and we had all these decisions that we could make, we still had to Do a lot of this this work up front and make sure that we we were able to start the trail work and and before uh, or and do the our our due diligence as far as um, what other protections might already be on the land as well.
0: Do you have to do that kind of thing every every so often, every five or ten years or something to make another report or update um, those uh, those kind of benchmarks that you found up front?
1: So, yeah, we've been doing biological surveys every year.
0: Every year. Um, oh, wow. Okay.
1: Yeah, every year. And I think those are, I think it's for five years that we have to do that. Okay. Um, and then I think it backs off after that.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Uh, being a landowner, it's like the, just the big difference between Hanging a Mountain and Farley. Just uh, yeah, being a landowner and 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 not, <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> and it just comes with a lot more responsibility. And it's not like you're you're not like a conservation easement holder at at Farley, right? It's no. just yeah, it's just a little bit different. It's just going to be a different model and different responsibilities. And it sounds like the Western Mass Climate Coalition is well equipped to to handle something like that. It's just yeah, it's so neat. It's so, it's just so cool. Well, any final thoughts before we kind of put a bow on this, any final thoughts or words of wisdom you want to pass over to pass along to other LCOs or myself or anyone that listens? Um, what do you look forward to in your position here coming up as well?
1: I am looking forward to being able to spend more time doing all of the things that I've wanted to do for a, a while. Um, the to-do list is very long. And just, I just keep adding to it. So hopefully I make uh, good progress on that in these next few weeks. Um, and yeah, I'm just excited to get more people involved, grow our membership base, and turn more crags from uh, red or yellow to green. Um, so we're working on, on that and learning a lot more about conservation restrictions and all these different ways other than just buying property to protect it and have climbing um as a recreational activity uh protected in perpetuity so yeah kind of i'm really excited to learn more about it and and keep making progress so
0: all right thanks everyone for tuning in i I really hope you all enjoy this show as much as i enjoy making it it's a lot of fun putting this together each month for you all to tune in and listen to so thanks so much for listening Before you depart, I want to run a few things by you. I started the show to bolster the efforts that these advocates do year after year, and of course to support the mission of Access Fund. So I'd like to ask you to either donate, or better yet, become a member of Access Fund. Your support and membership goes a long way to help them with their mission of conserving, stewarding, and advocating for climbing. There are varying levels that you you can become a member at, but... You can get started for as low as 20 bucks a year. And after that, you can reap all kinds of awesome benefits with first getting a free t-shirt and getting amazing discounts on some of the best climbing products out there. It's all listed on Access Fund's website, accessfund.org. So check it out. If you're a rock climber, please consider becoming a member of Access Fund. Second, if you want to do me a huge solid, please subscribe to the show and leave a glowing review and comment on Apple podcasts. After that, jump on those social media channels and share it with your friends. It goes a long, long way. And I'd greatly appreciate if you helped me out with that one. So thanks again for listening. I really appreciate it. And I'll have to catch you all next time.